0: Resume is on the tape, you know. So, like right now, I'm a horseshit football coach right now. You're listening to the Big House Bleachers
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to episode two. Of the Big House Bleachers podcast, I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with Matt Hartwell. Matt, what's up, man?
1: I'm feeling good, man. I mean, during the first half of yesterday's game, I developed kind of like a kink in my neck. (laughs) So (laughs) working through some of that, feeling better now that the game had a better outcome. But uh, how about you, my friend?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I had a full-blown mental health crisis in the first half. But (laughs) by the time the second half rolled around, I, I was feeling a little better. I got the medicine I needed. But, uh, you know, before we jump into the positional breakdowns, I I figured it was appropriate to lead with, um, you know, just a reminder that this is bigger than football, something that was a little scary that we all experienced yesterday. So, in the first half, uh, former Michigan running back uh, and beloved running backs coach Mike Hart went down with what is being currently described as a seizure. He was carted off the field. Uh, You could see. Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, uh, extremely emotional, I, you know, and I think that all of the fans and, and followers of the Michigan program got a little emotional in that in that moment because not only was it one of these scary kind of potentially life or death situations, but uh, it, it just happens to be a guy that we all know and love, uh, who was just a legendary player and a legendary coach already. And and so I think that just added some extra impact to it. So, uh, you know, a very scary moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for myself, just being the Michigan fan that I am, you know, my heart holds such a near and dear, uh, near and dear place in my own heart. So I stepped away from the TV, actually, for a moment to, uh, to do something or other and came back to see that somebody uh, had 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 something happen and I wasn't even sure myself what it was going on until I saw that it was Mike Hart and just having those memories you know of of Mike Hart running across our tv screen you know it really kind of got me emotional right along with with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and the rest of the Michigan team you know it was it was definitely a, a, a position of wanting to make sure that that coach Hart was all right and that uh That no matter the outcome of this game, you know, what's going on with with Mike Hart, how's he going to be?
0: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the next update. I want to know a little bit more about what it was and how he's doing. And and again, you know, you don't want to see anybody go through this. It's not like one person is more important than another when it comes to a crisis like this. But you know, Mike Hart just happens to be, I I think one of my four or five favorite players all time in Michigan history. He's, he's borderline on that, like Mount Rushmore of, of Michigan figures. And, and, you know, his hiring at Michigan as the running backs coach, when Harbaugh brought him on, I really, yeah, I I just thought that was probably one of the best moves Harbaugh has made um, in his tenure at Michigan, bringing on Ronald Bellamy and, denard robinson and mike hart getting these former players
1: involved absolutely i know that i was one of those people that was screaming for mike hart's hire seeing his success at indiana and uh, when they brought him over man it was just like such a huge homecoming and prayers to him and his family that they can overcome whatever he's going through Uh, the coaches from what i heard uh, Jenny Taft exclaiming down on the sidelines is that this is the first time that anything like this has ever happened to coach Hart so prayers to him and his family again that uh, that they can get a resolution to all this and that uh, that his safety is is uh first thing that's in mind obviously
0: definitely thoughts and prayers to to the Hart family and and uh, we know coach will get back soon coach we're thinking about you you'll get back soon and it definitely had an impact on the game. If we're gonna let's switch gears now and talk a little bit about football, um, and we can get into the the flow of the game after our you know positional breakdown. But Michigan did ultimately win, uh, thirty one to ten. Uh, although it didn't feel like that was going to be the case for most of the game. Let's uh, let's talk about JJ. I think uh, the obvious place to start is at the quarterback position. You know, JJ threw for 300 yards. He had three touchdowns. Um, he threw his first interception, which which was not nice to see. He kind of tried to force that ball. I, I believe it was to, to Ronnie Bell crossing over the middle in the end zone. So he threw an INT, but but realistically, he, you know, he may have had his best game statistically as a Wolverine, and it still feels like he hasn't been unleashed, right? It still feels like we're using him to about 80% of his capacity.
1: Yeah, I mean, happy to see them unleash JJ and let him do some of the things that he's great at. Obviously, the INT kind of a freak scenario. I mean, Ronnie, uh, was it Ronnie, I believe, down in double coverage in the end zone? You know, hard hard for him to get his hands on that ball and then bobbled by one of their defenders and eventually pulling it down in the end zone. So Kudos to them for that, getting that INT, but I mean, J.J. played his heart out, great game at the end of the day, over uh, 300 yards, three touchdowns, and uh, just a great game, I thought, from from J.J. again.
0: And you know, people are talking, everybody wants to know, are you the reason
1: that J.J. threw that pick? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't. I don't want that on my conscience. <laughs> no, I
0: know that yeah you you had some some note uh, about I think you you mentioned the zero turnovers or zero picks is that right?
1: Uh yeah, I mean I had definitely notated how uh um in my article about how JJ had yet to throw a uh <laughs> an interception but I will note in my predictions, however, we're not there yet. That he did stay at the top in completion percentage for the season.
0: Oh, awesome! I can't wait till we get there. Yeah, I was checkmarking some of those uh, bold predictions in, in our notes, and I wasn't sure what statistic you were you were referring to there, but it was completion percentage. Um, all right, we'll get there in a second. But let's let's go to the running backs. Um, I should. You know, basically, say running back right now because right now there's a you know singular figure that's that's taking up most of the attention and uh, you know Quorum for Heisman. What 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 more is there to say at this point? He's got 11 touchdowns on the the season now, and he he continued his great yardage performances. Got a lot of carries. Uh, you know, I, I feel like Corum is realistically one of the four or five guys that you can talk about for Heisman right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like in this first half of the season, you don't have a lot of the key matchups that you look for in cementing that Heisman race, like the rivalry matchups and things like that. But as far as the first half of the season is concerned, I mean, Blake Corum has done everything that you look for in a Heisman hopeful. I mean, he's averaging over 100 yards through the first Uh, Six games of the season. He's got a touchdown at least in every single game. I mean, the guy is just, he's a beast. And I hope that come Heisman voting time that there's a lot of consideration thrown his way. Obviously, uh, barring any mistakes made in those big rivalry matchups, but the kid is just on fire. Well,
0: and here's the thing to look at when you look at the quorum for Heisman numbers. Um, I saw this morning, he's got more yards through six games. Than Derrick Henry during his Heisman campaign, and and then Mark Ingram during his Heisman campaign, and he also has more touchdowns through six games uh, than Derrick Henry and, and Mark Ingram during their Heisman campaigns. But but we know that the Heisman is not won in the first half of the season. In fact, it's it's won in the second half of the season. And for a Michigan player, the Heisman Trophy is usually won or lost um, during one specific game at the end of the year. So you know November 26th will probably be his his greatest audition for that trophy but for now it's fun you know as a michigan fan let's let's keep talking about it every week Quorum for heisman
1: all that i'm going to say and i'll leave it at this is that if it comes down to a scenario where it's blake corum versus cj stroud in the heisman voting and michigan goes down to columbus and takes care of business not saying that that's going to happen knock on wood. But if we were to do that and the races between those particular players, Michigan comes out of it with the victory. You got to think that that weighs heavily into that type of decision.
0: Oh yeah. And if Michigan goes into the horseshoe and wins this year, I won't even be thinking about the Heisman trophy. I'm going to, you know, it, it'll be bonkers. Well, cause it, you know, we'd pro- probably get into the, the college football playoff. We'd probably be in the best position we've been in in a long time but but two consecutive wins over the Buckeyes would be would be insane but yeah I, you know what I digress I'm getting ahead of myself we've got we've got some games to win before between now and then so um but anyway the running backs look good uh Donovan Edwards I think we know how good he is but he you know he did he didn't have like a, a wow spectacular performance did you did you see anything you liked or didn't like out of Donovan
1: he didn't really let, jump out of the screen at me at all this game, and to be fair, I mean, honestly, Donovan, whenever he's in the game, any game that he's been in, he usually makes some kind of play to jump out of the screen at you, so uh, we'll, we'll give him a pass this, this week, but uh, there was fortunately plenty of other plays to go around, at least in the second half.
0: Moving on to the wide receivers uh, and tight ends, the pass catchers, Uh, Ronnie Bell, over a hundred receiving yards. It's, it was nice to see him do that. And, you know, he gave us a little reminder of just how athletic and just how special of a a pass catcher he is. He, he made a couple of uh, really nice grabs in this game. And it was, you know, reminiscent of last year when he started to really get going in that Western Michigan game before he got hurt he had that one-handed grab that in my opinion you know may have been the best catch in college football history and then he there was a you know offensive pass interference that that brought that back and then he got hurt and, went, and it left us all wondering you know what would Ronnie Bell have been had he not gotten injured in that game well in this game we finally see you know Ronnie is is being Ronnie he's over 100 yards making special grabs it's really nice to see
1: Yeah, I mean, you really can't tell that that guy had the injury that he had in the slightest when you look at him on tape this year. I mean, he's just catching balls, making athletic plays, diving, getting hit, you name it. He's just out there taking everything that anyone else has to give him. And I mean, in the first few games of the season, I thought the guy was made of glass. You know what I mean? Anytime he got hit, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to get injured again. We're going to be without Ronnie. But it's now, it's not even something that I think about. The kid's just been on fire just making all kinds of plays. You can't even tell.
0: Cornelius Johnson, uh, you know he he had one of the most disappointing drops I've seen in a while. You know he he had this oh man I mean, it, we were kind of backed up in our own territory. big play. uh JJ hits him in stride. It looks like he's got you know, it's gonna be if he catches that ball it's going to be a foot race to the end zone. There's one defensive back that may have had an angle, but I'm thinking that was probably a touchdown if he catches that ball. So he drops it later in the drive, uh, completely makes up for it, right? He he ends up catching a nice little uh, crossing route and, and, you know, makes an athletic move and, and gets into the end zone. Um, Cornelius Johnson really came on strong this game with the exception of that drop, which I, In my mind, I erased that drop because he kind of made up for it. But with the exception of that, he played a really good game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And certainly that drop is not something that Wolverine fans would have taken lightly had the game gone any other way that it did. But he did make up for it, and he made up for it quickly, not uh, soon after with uh, another touchdown and diving into the end zone in great fashion, might I add. So... Awesome touchdown for uh, Cornelius Johnson, and awesome to see him get a couple on the board uh, in that game.
0: Andrell Anthony is somebody we've all been uh, screaming, you know, to Harbaugh and the coaching staff, like get him in the game and get him some touches. And
1: justice for Andrell,
0: <laughs> free Andrell. Uh, you know, he he, uh, I would say he got a little bit of justice this game. He he got some looks. He had multiple catches. Um, he looked you know, yeah, pretty
1: good. Absolutely. And, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, a lot of people I'm sure probably took issue with AJ Henning taking a little bit of Roman Wilson's uh, share of the snaps, but I think Andrell still got a good mixture of downfield throws in there. And the kid is young, you know, give him some time to blossom and, and he'll uh, he'll find his way up there on that receiving ladder once some of these other guys are gone to the NFL next year. Yep, and
0: AJ Henning had a, a decent game. He usually doesn't get too involved in, uh, you know, that he doesn't get too many targets. He he definitely, yeah, of course, get, get gets the ball in his hands quite a bit because he's our punt returner. And and you mentioned Roman Wilson was out. Um, he was a little banged up and is expected to play. Next week uh, at uh, when Penn State visits Ann Arbor, originally, we thought he was in concussion protocol, but uh, it turns out that might not be the case. I'm hearing that the the coaching staff uh, is being their normal private selves about uh, this injury, but he got a little banged up and and is expected to play next week when we play Penn State,
1: yeah, actually, via uh, Sam Webb of the Michigan Insider, I think he tweeted out yesterday morning that he had uh, had a source that told him that Roman Wilson wasn't playing, wasn't in concussion protocol. They did clarify that, but that it was just something, and that we'll expect him back next year for that game against James Franklin.
0: You know, I re- we haven't talked about this, but I really don't like James Franklin. <laughs> like I know, Absolutely. I know that's something that that you're like as a Michigan fan, you're supposed to not like uh, some of your you know opposing head coaches, but man that ever since he wore his Vanderbilt gear to the the college uh baseball world Series when Michigan was in it, I've just that that dude rubs me the wrong way. I can't wait to lay the smack down on Penn State next week
1: and the fighting franklins right
0: <laughs> right and and then of course there's there's one guy that had another big game from a a pass catching standpoint this week once again uh, Schoonmaker coming up big.
1: Yeah. Schoonmaker once again, having a couple of really just all-star plays made in that, uh, in that second half, you know, he had the catch that really, I mean, they said, wasn't a catch at first, but I think every Wolverine fan upon looking at that initial replay, they were like, he got his hand under that ball, you know? So I, uh, I, I, at least I know I spotted that, and the replay certainly confirmed that. Just an amazing catch by Scooney. And then another play uh, to essentially just touch the tip of the pylon while he was kind of like gliding majestically, uh, hovering over the air, if you will, and just kind of boinked off of the top of the pylon and scored an, an incredible touchdown. What are you thinking of Luke Scoodmaker? Is he a... Uh, First, second round NFL prospect, Mike? Well, I'll tell you
0: something that I noticed. And I'm a huge Schoonmaker fan, and I love him. Eric All's presence was missed, but it wasn't in the pass-catching game. Uh, Schoonmaker missed a block. I I forget what uh, quarter it was in, but there was a block that Schoonmaker missed that I just feel like Eric All may have picked up and uh the 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 defensive end got to jj and it it was i can't remember i think it ended up in a sack and you know those are the little things that that the nfl is going to look more closely at i'm not a scout i you know i don't really know the intricacies and the nuances of of tight end blocking game but that that was something that stuck out to me um i wouldn't say first or second round yet but he's uh he's looking like he's going to hit hit some some draft boards and and garner some attention for sure
1: yeah absolutely and of course i joke being that he's come on so strongly in his senior season kind of just being one of those and of of course you you touch on a good point michigan's system was so different in its utilization of the tight ends last year more for blocking and downfield blocking and things like that but you know this offense is just so much different than it was last year i think um with uh with JJ McCarthy, whether they're letting him unleash it a hundred percent or not, you can still see it's a much flashier offense that than we dealt with last year. And uh it's just been kind of impressive to watch their utilization in the tight end game and and uh getting some of those guys involved.
0: Speaking of blocking, moving to the O line, uh Trent A. Jones went down. He had one of those dreaded Roll-up style injuries on his leg. It it didn't look well. I don't know. It didn't look especially serious to me, but it did look like he he might miss some time. Have you heard any updates on how Trente is doing?
1: I haven't heard any updates personally or read anything up to this point. But I know that when I watched it, it looked it looked like Blake Corum or or the defender that was tackling Blake Corum or both of them landed on landed awkwardly on that back foot of Trente while he was picking up a massive block there and it just looked hopefully i mean he was able to roll that leg into it in such a way where it didn't uh, it didn't put too much stress on it but it looked It looked like a potential injury that could be ugly if there was enough weight sitting on it for a long period of time.
0: That's what I was, you know, I I was looking at it and it's it's so hard to tell with these O-linemen because they, they look like, you know, the Terminator from the waist down with all these bionic like (laughs) braces on and stuff. Cause that's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Is I was like, if that was my leg, it would be shattered in like five places. But (laughs) for some reason, when, when, when these guys are like, you know, all, all strapped up with their braces on, I always feel like, well, maybe. You know, maybe it was just kind of a one game, two game like thing where something got a little pulled. But anyway, we're we're wishing him the best. Um, the only other lineman that that I that really stuck out to me is I saw Olu uh, get amazing push on a couple of plays where we uh, needed Blake Corum to pick up two or three yards. Olu, you know, gave us that push right up the middle. So it's it's really good to be to see him uh, at his full capabilities.
1: Olu just continuing to be huge. One of my favorite Michigan additions, uh, on this team so far. Obviously, there's been a couple big additions. I don't know if we're close to talking about the second one yet.
0: Well, let's let's do it now, man. I, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you a little alley oop here. Who on the D line stuck out to you?
1: Oh my gosh, man! Just Yabi Oki, a menacing presence on the edge, man. You know you. You just he's Ojabo like, you know, you saw Ojabo come on um, at the towards the end of the first half of uh, last season with that spin move. I mean, I'll tell if Yabi Oki learns the spin move, I'll just fucking lose it because (laughs) this guy just like he gets to the quarterback and he does it quickly and just menacingly. I don't know if you uh, – I'm sure you did when he t- got that one sack on Connor Brazelak just threw him for an additional yard and a half after he, he uh, got to him.
0: Yeah, I thought – so I thought Iyabi uh, snuck through unblocked. When I saw that originally, I'm like, oh, man, they missed Iyabi entirely because he, he he got to the quarterback so cleanly. And then you go back and watch the tape and you see, no, he, he actually was blocked uh, very cleanly. By the uh, I think it was the right guard, and uh, Iyabi just threw that dude on his back like it was nothing, <laughs> and, and and got to the quarterback. And you know I, I'm starting to look at Iyabi. I wrote, you know I wrote an article about him this week where I was really looking at
1: great read.
0: Oh, cool, cool. Thank you. And 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 I you know I wrote wrote that this week, and I was looking at what he could become. And people forget in in 2018. He was third, uh, you know, in the two four seven rankings, and the only people that were ranked ahead of him were Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, both starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So we have company right there. Exactly, we have a guy that could potentially become the, the best defensive player in the country by next year, um, because he does have one more year of eligibility with with the COVID
1: rule. Um, this guy could could become pretty special. Absolutely. And I mean, one sack, 1.5 tackles for loss in that game. Of course, not taking anything away from Mike Morris, who continued his reign of dominance, getting another sack in that last game against Indiana. Just a great season for Mike Morris. I think that those two are definitely the new dynamic duo, but I also just want to give credit to where credit is due. Jalen Harrell and... Derek Moore are the future, right? So obviously, uh, Oki and Morris, I mean, depending on what happens with those guys next year uh, with COVID eligibility and whatnot. But uh, depending on what happens with them, you know, uh, Moore and then uh, Harrell, those guys were just beasts um, behind uh, the presence of Oki and Morris on the line.
0: But what is Michigan going to do without Hutchinson and Ojabo? What are they going to do? You know, that's what we've been hearing all year. What are they going to do? And and Well, I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to put up more sacks than the previous season.
1: It's a farm, man. Michigan is defensive line U, and they just continue to farm out prospects and pump them out and, uh, and just produce amazing levels of talent. So just kudos to the coaching staff. Uh, for continuing to be able to do that, and the players, of course, for always being ready to be that next man up,
0: and then backing that D line up, we've got some some solid linebackers. Junior Colson remains a tackling m- machine. Uh, Mike Barrett was the leading tackler in the game, and you know he he he. I had that really nice uh, sack that was that was notable.
1: Yeah, very early in the game too. It was. Uh, I mean. Uh, take away the the fumble, but it was very Tanner Morgan esque the way he got to that quarterback. If you remember his sack on Tanner Morgan a couple years ago, I will forever remember it. But uh, he, he got to that quarterback, ate him for lunch real quick. Uh, didn't force a crazy fumble uh, that resulted in a touchdown, but he definitely set the presence for what was a very defensively strong day for the Wolverines. I don't know if you saw, but. They are now, I think, fifth in uh, total defense in the nation.
0: Yeah, moving, moving right up. Uh, you know, The second half really helped us with that. Um, you, you brought up uh, Jimmy Rolder was, was getting some snaps. I, I, I saw him in there a couple plays. Uh, do you know much about this kid? I, I know a little bit, but uh, this is the first time we've seen him getting significant action.
1: Yeah, Jimmy Rolder is uh, actually a prospect that I was kind of excited about during his uh, during his recruiting to the Wolverines, but he's been one that's been getting a lot of snaps as a true freshman. I mean, not quite as many as, say, like Mason Graham just yet, but he's definitely one of those uh, ones that's going to be great for us uh, as a linebacker in the next few years. And you're kind of starting to see some of the bones of these future Wolverine teams starting to show themselves with Wolver or with a uh, Rolder and with, um, with Derek Moore and stuff like that. So just very promising to see some of these younger guys just getting involved and getting chippy and getting the tackles, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, this tale of two halves that we experienced in the Indiana game, I think the position group that exemplified that the most was probably the secondary uh, you, you know, they, in the first half, I saw them really struggling to get off blocks. It was, it was, it was weird to me actually, when I saw, you know, Indiana was throwing it out to the sideline on these little wide receiver screens. And I, I could see DJ Turner and uh, Mike Sandra still, they weren't getting off blocks. And I was trying to figure out what is going on. You know, they were, they were uh, getting taken up on these blocks and the, the receivers were getting nine, 10, 11, 12 yards, every play. And then. In the second half, it just stopped. It just completely stopped. I think Indiana had like 19 total yards in the second half or something like that. We just completely shut them down. So props to Jesse Minter for that. And and uh, the, the secondary played a lot better in the second half. And Rod Moore got the, the INT, which was good to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Rod Moore, for getting that INT because – I remember I had tweeted out, like, right before that, like, need defense to make a play, (laughs) you know, because it was just very, you know, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I wanted to, like, kill myself after the first (laughs) half. Like, it was just such a terrible, um, such a, I mean, and the one thing that I love about this Michigan team is that we've never played totally bad in one half of any of our football games, meaning that, like if the defense has ever been bad in one half of a football game the offense is good you know we've kind of been able to complement each other as we're learning throughout this stretch of four five six games but um i mean i'm sure i'm not the only one there's been struggles against maryland and iowa and indiana the last 3 weeks and it's just kind of them putting it together and and uh, and finding a way to put the the finished product on the field before we come to some of these more important games, but you know it's a uh, it's a tale of two halves, like you said. And fortunately, we were able to put together a complete second half on both ends and get the job done.
0: Right, and and that that's the thing that's the most encouraging to me is that even with these uh, you know s- seemingly rough quarters and and rough drives that we've still managed to take care of business as a team, uh, get the wins. You know, we're six and Uh the thing that I, we're going to have to improve if we're going to beat Penn state. And especially if we're going to beat Iowa, uh, Ohio state is th- there's an interesting dynamic with the offensive play calling the rhythm of the offensive play calling it. I, I wonder how, um, having the dual offensive coordinators is working because sometimes you see JJ really working it down the field, getting close to field goal range, and then all of a sudden there's a couple questionable uh, play calls, and it just feels like the drive dies. And 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 I think that's what's holding us back from seeing these, you know, major yardage performances and these multiple touchdown performances for a lot of our players is. Some of these drives are just dying in in unusual ways, and and that's something that I'm hoping we can work out.
1: Yeah, I think uh, to touch on your point about the cohesiveness of the two offensive coordinators with the play calling, I mean, I think there's a bit of a learning curve to it. I mean, uh, mean, obviously there's a learning curve to it, but also you've got this tremendous running back in Blake Corum, that has tremendous success running the ball every time he touches it almost yet you've got all these other offensive weapons. So I think a lot of what we're seeing is them trying to figure out what what we're good at because last year you didn't really see any of that with any of these weapons that we had. I mean yeah, you have the the once once every now and then downfield shot by McNamara but it was relatively just run the rock, you know what I mean? And, uh, and check down, you know, so it's, I think there it's a learning curve for them to call the plays, but I think also it's a learning curve just to make this offense explode period.
0: Well, what'd you think about Joel Klatt, uh, on the, in the broadcast calling out that every time Michigan motions, the receivers, they run the ball. And every time they don't, They pass the ball. And then on the very next play, Gus Johnson was like, well, this must be a run. And and then sure enough, it's a run. Do you read into that? Do you think that we're actually tipping off our our play calling? Or is this something that, you know, is going to evolve later in the season?
1: I'm really hoping that it's going to evolve. What it kind of gives me is year one Josh Gaddis vibes, if I'm being honest. Um, with a little with, of course, a lot more success, because I don't like to take anything away from the offense, because at the end of the day, last week, we had the number one offense in the nation. And I think like we tumbled a few spots this week. But, um, but it's still a great offense, and it's still doing great things. But I do worry about that whenever we get up against like Penn State next week, and some of the, the more well versed coaches, and the Ryan days, and the Mel Tuckers and the the people that study us a little bit more, are we going to see people that are ready for that? So you bring up a good point.
0: I just envision Harbaugh with a kind of s- slight grin on his face. You know, w- thinking about people saying this stuff because he's no amateur. I mean, let, let's be real here. Harbaugh has been doing this a long time. He knows exactly what he's doing. So, so I think that, yeah, Joel Klatt was very, very wise to point out that tendency. Uh, I think at the most opportune times we're we're going to break tendencies this season. I still don't think we've unleashed uh, you know, that extra ten or twenty percent of the playbook. I, I really think that, that that's it's it's nothing to worry about. Do did the offensive coordinators need to get a little bit more in rhythm? Yes. Are they going to? Yes. Do we still have a few tricks up our sleeve? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And kudos to them for keeping what they have been able to under wraps up to this point.
0: So every week you and I, uh, you know, we, we come out with our five bold predictions. So let's take a look at at how we did. I, I'll, I'll run through mine first. I had Michigan going over 200 yards rushing. That didn't happen, but you know, we were good. We were good. We, we, we ran the ball effectively and did what we needed to do. There were some times when You know, a lot of that came from one big quorum run, so there were some times we got stopped, but we did what we needed to do to win the game. I think we had 165 yards, so came up short there. I had J.J. throwing three-plus touchdowns. He had three, got that one. I had Andrell Anthony scoring. That didn't happen. Um, Iyabi getting a sack, called that. That one came came through for me, and then uh, I said Michigan would force a special teams turnover which they did not. So I'm sitting at two out of five
1: uh, of my my predictions. And how, how did you do? Well, Mike, I did the same, two out of five. And just so our listeners are aware, here on the Big House Bleachers podcast, these uh, predictions are designed to be a little bit bold, not obviously too common that we're just going to be able to guess them flat out. But this week, I had uh, Michigan remains number one in offense, which they did not. We put uh, 30 points on, on the board, but f- unfortunately, that drops us, I think, to number five, I think, in total offense, if I'm not mistaken, as of when I checked this morning. But I did not get that. Uh, number two, I had a Michigan wide receiver goes for over 100. I used the logic uh Stemming from that, Roman Wilson probably wouldn't be playing uh, throughout the week. When I was hearing whispers about that, to determine that prediction, Ronnie Bell did go for over a hundred. So, congrats to that guy. He's been he's had it coming. Huge day for him, especially after that that season that he missed last year. So, congrats to Ronnie. Um, I had Will Johnson donning the turnover buffs in uh, an interception for the Wolverines this week, which did not happen. That interception went to Rod Moore, uh, but still just thank you, Rod Moore, for the interception. Uh, Fuck my prediction. (laughs) As long as somebody gets it, you know what I mean? Uh, Number four, JJ accounts for four touchdowns. I whiffed on that. Um, He did account for three touchdowns, which was very welcomed, but he did not get four and number five. I did get correct at uh, JJ stays at number one in completion percentage. So JJ excellent job at being the most accurate passer in the nation for yet another week.
0: Yeah, and that's really something to note uh, that sticks out to me. Uh, J.J. has the number one completion percentage in the entire country. I, I mean, that, that's impressive. He hasn't had the volume of snaps that some of these other quarterbacks have had, but the time that he's gotten to throw the ball, he's done it better than anybody in the country.
1: Yeah, just an excellent effort on his end, you know, because I think he, the kid probably took into account a lot of the things that were being said about him in the offseason. You know, you got people talking about uh, him as if he's a risky quarterback and that uh, why turn the offense over to him when you have such a great game manager in Cade. So he's really been showing that he can also be that game manager and he can work within Michigan's offense to make sure that he's not turning the ball over and that he's being careful.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's go around the country. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how some of these other teams did. Uh, first, I, you know, I'd like to talk about Mel Tucker and our friend Sparty in East Lansing. The resume is on the tape, you know. So, like right now, I'm a horseshit football coach right now.
1: <laughs> and he is indeed Mel Tucker with yet another embarrassing display of football against the Ohio State Buckeyes uh yesterday. uh 49 to 14, Mike, what would you think about that uh whatever you can call it? Well, you know, I think that the, the Spartans
0: should be proud of themselves because they they've improved massively from that game last year when they were uh, down 49 to nothing at halftime. And so at this rate in another, I don't know, 75 to a hundred years, they might, they might actually have a chance of beating a team like Ohio state. So
1: we'll see. Absolutely. You know, uh, I don't know if you caught that. Um, the big 10 network will often do these like witty commercials where they'll get all the coaches together and get a sound bite from all of them about like a question randomly that they'll ask them. So this week's random question um, for those that didn't see it, uh, Mel Tucker was asked, along with all the other Big Ten coaches, what is the least important uh, statistic in all of football? And Mike, what, what did you uh, did you hear what Mel Tucker had to say about that?
0: Oh, yeah, it was like passing defense or pass defensive passing yards or something. It, it, was, it, it was something like that, right?
1: It, it was total pass defense, and I couldn't tell if he was uh, serious or not. You know, I mean, I'm sure Spartan fans got a laugh out of it. When Kirk Ferentz said it about offensive yardage, I found it hilarious because Kirk Ferentz has been able to do such a thing and be successful simultaneously. So Kirk Ferentz reserves the right to say things like that. But Mel Tucker, I mean, like on the week following a game where you've uh, you've been embarrassed, really a couple games that you've been embarrassed. At your pitiful attempt at uh, putting a passing defense on the field. Probably not the wisest thing to say.
0: Yeah, and, and I just keep thinking like, we can't lose to, to fucking Michigan State this year, man. Like, we cannot lose to Michigan State. It, given everything that's taken place so far this season, everything that took place last season when we really should have beaten them and we gave the game away, and, you know, Kenneth Walker, he, he played great and you know props to him for that I'm not I'm not going to dog him he's a good running back but but just given uh everything we go through on a day-to-day basis with with Sparty fans and and just the way that our season is shaping up and the way that their season is shaping up and what they look like it's just I, I cannot think of a more disappointing uh outcome that could possibly take place in Michigan football uh than us losing that game so I'm going to stop saying that because we're absolutely going to win that game. But, uh, you know, we just got to win it.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, if there's one takeaway that I can offer really about this Michigan team as a whole through the first six games of the season is that they are designed and built to win the football game. And uh, and you've seen that, although it hasn't been pretty against Maryland and Indiana. Um it, they've got the job done. and they've put in together a they've put together a complete football game, although in some quarters, the one half of the ball has has slacked. They've still finished the game on the winning side and done what they need to do to win the game similar to how they did it last year. And uh, I think we won't see any issue with that when they visit uh, when they visit Michigan State and some of these other teams that are known as, uh, trap games. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, and looking around the conference, we see Penn state, Michigan and Ohio state are the clear front runners, you know, to take, not just take the East, but to take the conference, but
1: we saw Maryland. Don't forget about Illinois.
0: Well, Illinois is looking good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They, they won the battle of the field goals yesterday. Right. With, with Iowa, which, um, you know, that, that could, couldn't have been a a more predictable final score for an Iowa game right nine to six uh, Illinois beat them they're looking good Wisconsin uh, throttled Northwestern right 42 to seven so Wisconsin seems to be maybe you know turning it around after firing Paul Crist and and they've got their their interim coach Jim Leonard what do you think about that one?
1: well you know a lot has been said this week about the firing of paul christ and i admittedly was not a fan of the firing of paul christ i think paul christ is a great coach um i don't think that wisconsin is going i think wisconsin maybe need to temper temper their expectations a little bit for how high they think of a ceiling that the wisconsin badgers as an organization has (laughs) but um Obviously, they were able to uh, handle their competition over the weekend under their first game without him. So, hats off to them for that.
0: Yeah, I think they just really wanted Jim Leonard to be the coach, and and they were just waiting for an, an excuse to get rid of Paul Christ. I, I tend to agree with you, though. His record, you know, was not was not bad. He he had some success, and so, you know, good luck to him. Uh, but Wisconsin starts to, to turn it around a little bit. Nebraska did the most Nebraska ass thing I've ever seen at the end of their game. Did you see, did you see them? uh, They lined up in victory formation. They They,
1: fumbled the victory formation, right? Yeah. Against
0: Rutgers, right? They, so they line up in in victory formation against Rutgers to finally get a win, you know, against somebody and they fumbled the victory (laughs) formation snap. Now, now they did, they landed on it and they won the game, but it was, it was just hilarious that, like they they can't even win properly.
1: Rutgers uh, not getting that victory formation fumble is the most Rutgers thing I've ever heard of.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: <laughs> so fortunately they were playing Rutgers
0: exactly. So in in the Big Ten people are they kind of are who we thought they were. Uh, Purdue edged out Maryland, which which surprised me a little bit. But again, those are two teams that are both really good, but they both have enough weakness to where you figure they can lose on any given Saturday as well. So it was just more of what we thought we would see in the big 10 this week.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And of course I joke, uh, about Illinois, but I don't really see any serious contenders coming out of the West. That division just tends to kind of cannibalize itself as the the season progresses. Um, I mean, I think really this next game against Penn state going to tell us a lot. um, about where we're at, and I I think we're going to flatten Michigan State in a total game. I mean, I think we might see something similar to uh, what we played this week against Indiana. I was looking at the statistical comparison between Indiana and Michigan State, very similar football teams. Um, so I think we can expect more of the same versus them, but Penn State and Ohio State definitely going to give us the biggest run for our money this year.
0: Absolutely. And and we'll look at Penn State here in, in just a moment. But first, let's go around the country. Um, there were some pretty surprising outcomes on the national stage. Uh, first and foremost for me, because I'm actually located here in Austin, Texas. And so it, it was something that stuck out to me was, oh, you got shut out by the Longhorns 49 to nothing. I, I can't mm. remember such a lopsided victory. And And you had to figure the loser of this game was going to potentially fall on hard times. And it looks like that is going to be the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, they they just got devastated.
1: Yeah, shout out to Texas for blanking those guys. I mean, um, really awesome for them to get that done. OU, I mean, they're on the downslide after that offseason that they had last year and and losing out on a lot of those prospects and coaching, you had to see the worst was coming for them. And obviously, they've tried to to fare as best they can through the first half of this season, but they're kind of starting to get exposed without of those without a lot of those bones that were built into their team in preparation going into this year. And Texas gets their star quarterback
0: Quinn Ewers back. Um, Tennessee uh, throttled. LSU which uh, leads us to the question is Tennessee real I mean it's hard it's hard to know it's been a while since Tennessee has been a truly strong contender on the national stage but I don't know they've they've got just about as good of a resume as anybody they're starting to look pretty good to me
1: I would give them some credit I mean they're kind of starting to look kind of like uh, A&M like a little bit stepping into that Texas A&M role there over there in the SEC as far as uh, their placement and and how all that goes but I think that they're they're doing some things over there I do I think that they can stand up against um, against any national title competition no probably not yet but kudos to them for taking a big step this year.
0: Okay, I hear you. You hit me with the pump the brakes on Tennessee. Maybe that'll be a segment that we do next week, a little pump the brakes segment. I got a little little happy with Tennessee. Uh Clemson and Boston College, you know, they Boston College stayed close for a little bit. Clemson continued to, to look good. Bama, you know, they didn't have their Heisman win. you know, Heisman trophy winning star quarterback and and m really should have beat, beaten them. A&M dro- drove the ball all the way down to, uh, I think, the two or three yard line and had a play to win it at the end of the game. Did you see that?
1: I didn't see it personally, but uh, I heard about it. I obviously read about it on Twitter. Uh, and it's again, we'll, we'll probably see more of Alabama not uh, facing the sword of the media for that loss, despite the fact that I don't even think A&M is ranked and uh, coming down to the wire against an unranked opponent, I think really is my main takeaway from that. Well, you know, I think the tide is turning p- pun
0: intended there in, <laughs> in, in, college football That's a good right now. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've stayed up all night thinking of it. Um, <laughs> so I really do think that the tide is turning in, in the national you know college football landscape because Alabama is doing things like getting many, many penalties. Um, I'm, we're seeing them uh, commit turnovers that they normally wouldn't. Uh, we're seeing some and the ty- the types of penalties we're seeing out of Alabama are not indicative of what you would think of with a Nick Saban team they're they're getting personal fouls that are a little uncharacteristic so i'm all for it i'm I, i've got you know i'll take a front row seat to the the fall of the crimson tide and you know i'm hoping that that the vulnerabilities that they're showing uh just lead to some losses I'm you know i'm looking forward to seeing
1: yeah cheers to that hopefully uh you know you saw it a little bit last year with michigan finally cracking the uh the CFP Final Four, and hopefully that just continues this year with more uh, favorability for Michigan, obviously, but also other teams looking into that landscape.
0: Yeah, and, and, and speaking of you know the national landscape, Kansas, who was kind of the fan favorite undefeated team, ultimately uh, lost, which which kind of sucks. We were, we were all rooting for Kansas, but TCU stays undefeated. Um, Georgia rolled. Auburn, which you know was to be expected, but for Georgia fans, it's got to be good to see because they they turned around some of the struggles that they've had. Uh, Oklahoma State stays undefeated against Texas Tech, and uh, the future Big Ten teams are six and zero. USC and UCLA are sitting there undefeated, while while uh, Texas and, and OU heading to the SEC uh, appear to be struggling. Uh, what do you think about these uh, West Coast teams that are heading to the Big Ten?
1: Well, you know, honestly, first and foremost, I'm never a huge advocate for the West Coast team. So I, I think it's interesting that they're starting 6-0, and but it's all, always a similar situation with those Pac-12 guys. You know, like they uh, they look good, but they always end up losing one or two games. per. I mean, they're a lot like the Big Ten West, in my opinion, a little bit, only without as much defense.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I I find it interesting that they show the stadiums of these these teams and there's literally like 15,000 people in a 100,000, you know, seat stadium. And I'm just wondering what like what is going on in L.A.? They they just cannot get fans to show up to these college football games. And so it'll be interesting um, when they join the Big Ten, which is a conference that typically has fans that travel really well and and they sell out their stadiums. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how many Michigan fans we can get in the Rose Bowl against you know, UCLA and, and, uh, and USC Stadium against them. So I'm looking forward to seeing that.
1: I honestly can't wait. My wife and I, we, uh, we vacation over in L.A. Uh, sometime. We usually try to like once a year. So I honestly, when that news broke of those two teams joining the Big Ten, all jokes aside, I was excited because... I think it, it opens up a few things for the sport, and uh, and obviously the Big Ten is just a great conference, so we'll find a way to welcome them and make it great and make it memorable for years to come.
0: And the Rose Bowl is one of those bucket list stadiums for me. I've actually never been there, but because of Michigan's rich history in the Rose Bowl, I'd love to check it out. So as soon as Michigan travels to UCLA, let's uh, let's get some plane tickets and, and uh, get some game tickets and get out there
1: on, man. Sign me up. First uh, First game out there. Let's do it. Cool.
0: Well, I think that's just about it. Michigan has Penn State next week. It's going to be a top 10 matchup. Uh, Matt, you got any score predictions or any, any ideas of what, what you're looking for next week?
1: I think um, we'll see. Maybe the Wolverines take it 30 to 24. I think it's going to be a little bit uh, more of an off- offensive uh production game than it was last year obviously no eric all to run in any dramatic um touchdowns late in the fourth quarter but you know i'm thinking that we'll still pull it out i'm so grateful that it's at home this year happy valley is just a scary place to play at i know that they would have definitely um blanketed us with that whiteout if it was us visiting uh, them, but uh, maze out for those that will be attending. Everyone wear maze. It is during noon. I know a lot of you guys hate that for this game, but just try to be good sports. Wear maze. Let's kill these bastards. Let,
0: let's go get them. Uh, we'll beat the Nittany Lions next week in the maze out. I I feel like it's going to be a dominant performance. If I'm being honest with you, the one thing that makes me nervous is that young freshman running back that penn state has is is really good i think he was the number one running back coming out of high school so that makes me a little nervous but with chris jenkins and mozzie smith in the middle i think we'll be able to handle them uh off the top of my head right now i'm going to predict michigan 38 penn state 17 so a 21 point victory um But that's it for for, for this week. Thank you all for for listening. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a nice review if you like the show. Uh, That's episode two of the Big House Bleachers podcast. As always, go blue.